Hello, and welcome to Big Streaming Pile. I am your host, Fiona L.F. Kelly. And I am Tom Goldthwaite. And today we are going to talk about, um, I was about to say Interstellar, because I was just talking about Interstellar someone, but we are about to do A Wrinkle in Time, which is not Interstellar. Those are different movies. Though, interestingly, there are similarities. There are a lot of similarities. There's some um, parallels there. I thought that Interstellar was worse than this one, actually. Interstellar was more annoying. Yeah. We just watched Tenet last night, so we have uh, we have Christopher Nolan on the brain. We do have Nolan on the brain right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, we're here to talk about A Wrinkle in Time. Um, if you paid attention to our schedule at all, you will know that that was supposed to be um, Stargirl. Uh, but I watched Stargirl when it, like, very first came out and really only had, like, the initial reviews, which were, like, not the most positive, um, and we were, like, ready to watch it and record it again last week, and then I went, like, in doing my research, um, for the episode, I looked at the reviews again, and they were, like, a lot more positive, so I'm like, oh, maybe we shouldn't do Stargirl if everyone liked it, um, I didn't really like Stargirl that much, but uh, we decided to switch gears to A Wrinkle in Time instead, which is also, like, based on a pretty popular um, children's book. And also a Disney film. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But uh, A Wrinkle in Time was directed by uh, Ava DuVernay. Uh, It was written by Jennifer Lee and Jeff Stockwell. It's available on Disney Plus and the book. If you don't, if you didn't know, I think that everyone like knows the book. But if you didn't know, it was written by uh, Madeline Langall, who is a very popular uh, children's science fiction and fantasy author. She was like, she was like really uh, one of the people in the 20th century to really be like, developing like children's literature yeah and like is a very big influence that is still felt in a lot of like those type of works today um but we got an updated version of uh, her story a wrinkle in time one of her more famous works in 2018 and that's the movie we're going to talk about right now mm-hmm. should we get into the plot yeah let's give a quick rundown of the plot yeah okay um i have not read the book i was going to read the book I even borrowed the book from the library, and I was going to read it today, and then I did a bunch of other stuff and didn't read the book. So (laughs) I had, I think I read the book at some point. I know it was one of the very first books also that my mother read to me when I was very little, and I liked it a lot. I do think that later in life I did pick it up and read it on my own at least once, Um, but I, I was very, very young, so I remember... Almost nothing about it. So, what I brought into the movie was basically remembering that I liked the book, but not really remembering what I liked about it, or really any details. Yeah, I was going to, like, read the book and talk about the differences between the book and the movie. Obviously, I didn't, so that's not going to happen. Um, I did look enough to see that uh, a lot of her books... I've never read Madeline Langall, so I, I don't know anything about her, really, other than that she's really important. Um... I probably should have with all the like young adult and children's literature classes I took in both college and grad school, but I just, I just never read her. Uh, but I know that a lot of her characters, um, like her books share universes. So these characters pop up in, um, other books. And I think that this book is even the first in a series. It is. Yeah. I know there's at least one sequel that I also read when I was a kid. I think when I looked it up, there were five books. Okay. Um, 
so quite a few, but um, the story seems to more or less exist uh, as its own complete story. So I didn't feel like, oh, like, you clearly have to watch, like, five more mo- movies or this is, like, setting up a bunch of sequels or whatever. Um, no, this didn't feel like a franchise builder. Yeah, it, w- it was just, like, a nice contained story. Um, but, yeah, let's get into the plot. So uh, this is a story about um, Meg, who is played by Storm Reed, who is in a bunch of other really good movies, um, and her little brother, Charles, uh, Char- Char- the, the, Charles Wallace. It's hard to say. Mm-hmm. It's a long name. Um, so Meg and Charles Wallace are the, uh, children of, um, this guy. I should have written down his name. It's Chris Pine. So Chris Pine is like, um, a scientist and their mother is, uh, also a scientist and he is really interested in, like, um, connections throughout the universe and like quantum mechanics and stuff like that um so at the beginning of the film he's been missing for like i think they say a year something like that maybe longer uh four years oh four years wow yeah. uh so he's been missing for quite some time um and in that time things have not been going like super well for meg in particular um meg is having like a lot of trouble in school like she's like getting bullied and and reacting like really harshly to it and you see even the adults around her are sort of like um very dismissive about her and charles wallace's experiences and also like speculating sort of cruelly about like what's really like going on with their dad um so that's where we open up um mm-hmm. So, uh, Meg gets into a fight with another girl at school. They're sent home. She ends up fighting also with her mother, who is already on edge because this is, like, the anniversary of when their dad left. Um, and, uh, they meet up with another friend of Meg's, uh, Calvin, who is, like, one of her peers at school. And, uh, Charles Wallace invites a, like, the movie doesn't really explain a whole lot other than their forces of good in the universe but almost like a fake creature basically um named mrs what's it who is played by reese witherspoon um and she has come as a force of good in the universe basically to help charles wallace uh find her father and she's like very dismissive of meg she doesn't think that like meg can come with them or like um do the mission that they need to do or anything like that are you just tuning out no, I'm listening. It's just I haven't had like, yeah. I mean, you're you're covering it. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. You're no, just... I'm here. I'm like paying attention. I'm, okay. Yeah. You're staring off into the distance. So I was like, no, no, no. It's usually like when we talk about these movies, I have like stuff I want to bring up or dunk on or something. Mm-hmm. This movie, I don't quite have that. Maybe to show my hand, like I think this movie is better than the typical movie we watch for sure for, for sure show. yeah roger told us after and this would have been such a better movie to do roger like after we had watched it was like you guys should have done artemis fowl and i'm like you're right we should have done artemis mm. fowl but i didn't even mm-hmm. think of it when yeah. i was thinking of sort of like um sort of like not great like uh you know uh movie adaptations of like beloved children's works artemis fowl did not even occur to me um but yeah i also think this movie is sort of better than what we usually go for yeah. but there are definitely problems yeah i do think that maybe we can accelerate the plot a little bit because the plot for this movie is so straightforward yeah so they basically uh you have mrs witch they very quickly meet up with um or you have mrs what's it hello mia Hello. <laughs> they have Mrs. She was correcting me. 
Um, so they have Mrs. Wetsit, and they very they very quickly meet up with uh, Mrs. Witch and Mrs. Who, and they are like collectively called the Mrs. Uh, Mrs. Witch is played by Oprah, and Mrs. Who is played by uh, Mindy Colling. And then they sort of go on this like very fantastical adventure through the universe uh, through a technique called tessering, which is basically like they find particular vibrations in reality and like move through them. Um, they realize that their dad has gone to like the super evil bad place um and they need to get there but the misses aren't able to help them get to that place uh because they can only travel through like good and light and i know and that place is uh not good or light yeah and And this is i think an important like piece like important moment in the plot is the misses when they find out the father has gone to um kazazot's Kazarot, yeah, something like that. Karazot? Yeah, I think it's Karazot. There's some Z's in there. It's complicated. Um, But anyway, when they find out he's gone to this, like, bad place, um, they they, they don't want to go there. Their their response is, oh, we need to, like, go back to Earth and, like, regroup and, like, make a plan. But Meg, because she's kind of stubborn, is like, no, 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 we have to, like, go now. I can't go home without my father, not when we're this close. So then when they go through the Tessard, intending to go back to Earth, like, Meg's stubbornness pulls them to, like, this bad, evil place. And the misses are like, oh, no, this is bad. We can't Tesser you out of here. We have to leave before we die. Uh, Right. You're on your own, bye. (laughs) And and Meg, through the whole movie, has had um, a great deal of difficulty Tessering. Yes. um, Because a large part of Tessering is, like, through your, like, belief in yourself and your love. And Meg is, like, a deeply troubled child. Like, she has a lot of difficulties, like, with herself and the world around her. Um, So her ability to Tesser is also, like, pretty closely tied to her emotional journey as a character. Which I'm sure is also a thing in the book. (laughs) Um. So yeah, they get to uh, they get to Karazot. I, I don't know. We should have written it down. Yeah. Um. So they the get bad to, place. The bad place. They get to the bad place. <laughs> uh, Michael Pena is there and um is being like weird and creepy. Um, they eat some sandwiches. Aha! Ha, ha, ha. That was a pun. I didn't even notice that. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, there, there are like it's actually pretty interesting um, how they do. It's something that I want to like hit on a little bit as uh, as we talk. Um, sort of like uh, this evil bad place being um, somewhere that like um, varies between like um, suburban uh, scenery and like really compact like beach scenery and I think that that's pretty interesting especially when you compare to like the good parts of where they're testering to which are like basically our cottage core dreams yeah. um so uh so yeah so they get there um Charles Wallace is taken over by the bad guy and the it, the it. yeah very scary um, and, uh, then it's up to Meg to save them and also her father. Uh, her father, in a super weird move, is like, we're gonna abandon Charles Wallace and I'm just gonna, we're just gonna, like, hop out of here because then, like, you know, we can at least, like, cut our losses. Um, again, Meg doesn't end up testering because of her love for Charles Wallace and through her love and their, like, sibling connection, they're able to get the it out of him, um, when they realize that, like, um, the faults and the darkness in them is also, like, ways with which they can let in, like, light and love and stuff like that. 
Um, and then they're able to successfully test her back home, and there's a happy ending. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's 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 the, the movie. That's the movie. It's a very straightforward plot. Um, it's very driven by um the sort of like wonder and awe of these locations they go. Mm-hmm. The whole movie looks really beautiful. Yeah. Um, in a very like CGI sort of way, but it it looks good. I think is that what you'd say? You think the movie looks good? I th- I think that that's actually where the movie like stumbles the most. Okay. I think that the the CGI. See, I think that when they have like really practical effects, it looks really good, and when mm-hmm. they're trying to be creepy, it looks really good. Yeah. Like the like suburban children like simultaneously like cool. bouncing the yeah. ball that looked really neat. I think, or like when they had the practical effects of when um Meg and her father see each other for the first time. I thought that that was super interesting, framed really well. Mm-hmm. Um, when they go to like talk to the flowers and stuff like that, I thought that it looked like weirdly sanitized and shiny and like not like what i would expect from disney and i feel like this is like um a weird problem that we've gotten into at least like recently with live action works that depend pretty heavily on um a lot of cg for their scenery and stuff like that where like it almost looks like too shiny and not quite like it matches with like what they're doing um so I felt like the movie like really suffered there and it made me almost wish that it was an animated film so that at least everything could look like really cohesive and together. And then you yeah. can still have those like highly fantastical elements. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do think this movie would have been in a lot of ways better as like an animated Pixar movie or something. Yeah, and I also felt like some of it was shot in like really weird ways that um there are some movies now. I think the most egregious example of this is a movie that I love very dearly, um 2019's Cats, where it's like I almost wonder at times if they knew what it was going to look like like as they shot it. Mm. I don't think that this movie was like as egregious as say Cats, but there were times where it's like the camera cuts and you don't actually see what happens. You just see people's reactions as it's happening. And I'm like, well, like, why did they do that? Like, that is true. There were a few really weird edits. I remember one specific edit where it just felt like they just cut out the moment where the thing happened. Yeah. And that was strange. Yeah. Uh, th- I mean, I wrote down one part where they were going to see um, Zach Galifianakis's character, who is uh, Mrs. What's It's like ex weirdly enough and like um meg is trying to navigate these rocks that she has to balance on because they're all sort of like um teetering and tottering and there's a part where she falls but you don't see her fall you see everyone's reaction to her falling and then it cuts to her having fallen like being on the ground and i'm like why did they cut like the moment that it happens like it it seemed just like sort of strange that it was cut that way and there were a couple other instances throughout the movie where it's like we didn't see the action like it sort of reminds me of like um like uh there's a video by every frame of painting about uh about like kung fu films where it's like you show the hit twice um whereas a lot of movies now will like cut right before the hit because obviously like it helps make it look better with people who might not be the most trained or if you don't have the greatest shot yeah and obviously because like in martial arts movies you're not supposed to actually be like decking someone in the face like you have to you know it's like very highly choreographed but if you're like um cutting before we get the impact it it looks like a lot faker than you know it Mm -hmm. might be if you're seeing it live but yeah that's what it felt like to me it felt like they like cut the punch like every time interesting um 
And that was, I think, why this movie, like, feels weird to people. Um, I think that, though, if I would have seen this movie being at the age that you were meant to see it and not in my, tw- in my 20s, <laughs> um, I think I would have really liked it. And I think I would have probably seen it with, like, rose-colored glasses, like, later. Um, I think that, because, like, this movie is, like, frightening in a lot of ways. Um and like creepy in a lot of ways and like dealing with dark stuff that I think that like kids really do like. Um, and I think that I liked when, you know, I was like the target audience for this. I should have read Wrinkle in Time. I probably would have liked it. Yeah. If I recall, it was a good book. I did enjoy it. Um, I want to say that I felt like my biggest problem with this movie is it just, it didn't feel clever enough. Yeah. Which is like a weird criticism um yeah it relied like i like i said i haven't read the book but it felt like you could tell what feels like it's from a book you know okay i think part of it this is so like i said i read this book so so long ago i was so young um so this is as much like speculation and guess as memory but i do think that the book is just in general more introspective Mm -hmm. and kind of spends a lot of time inside like the character's heads or maybe mm-hmm. just Meg's head. I don't really remember, but, but I do think it's that the, the books are like introspective. And I think that the movies have a harder time with that just be- yeah. because of the medium. Like we don't get to sit inside Meg's head and know all of her thoughts and like see things through her perspective. We just kind of, we can do, like, subjective filmmaking, but it's just not the same. Yeah, we, like, follow her, and, like, the other characters will, like, expound upon the difficulty she's having. Um, but when we see, like, the darkness within her, we don't even see, like, herself. We see, like, other characters. Like, when she's talking to Zach Galifianakis's character, and he's, like, having her go deep inside herself, and he's telling her, like, you are able to do these things. You're holding yourself back. She's not seeing her own journey. She's seeing, like, Calvin's journey, or, like, Veronica's journey. Like, she's not necessarily even seeing her own journey. So I I think that I also agree that that ends up being um, a little bit of an issue is that, like, we have Meg, who's clearly the protagonist and the main character, and we don't, like, linger on her enough. Like, it almost feels like um, the film expected just the events clearly being uh, a metaphor for, like, her own journey within, like, the difficulties that she's having to be enough. And it wasn't, like, quite enough. Yeah. Uh, um, Unlike the idea of, like, it not being very clever, like, there's one scene where... Like, they're trying to get away from, like, the tornado thing. Mm-hmm. And she, like, they have her, like, say, like, physics-y buzzwords, like, velocity and mass and stuff. And then she just throws them inside a tree trunk. And then the tree trunk gets yeeted by the tornado. But because they're in a tree trunk, it's fine, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, there was a whole lot of, like, that sounds like science. Like, they just sort of, like, throw out science-y buzzwords. Yeah. And for me, it's it's not so much, like, I don't want to do, like, the cinema sins, like, oh, they would have died sort of thing. Um, But the, the problem is, it's not that it's unrealistic. The problem is that the story beat was supposed to establish that Meg's really smart and good at science. And having, like, it, turn, it, it took what should have been, like, a show us how smart she is. And turn it into a tell us how smart she is. That she does something kind of like 
okay, I guess. And Mm -hmm. it sort of works for reasons. And then Calvin is like, wow, you're so smart. (laughs) <laughs> See, I don't, I don't think that that moment was to tell us how smart she is, um, because I think that that comes very late in the movie for that. I think that that moment was supposed to show us Meg, for the first time in this journey, is starting to believe in her own abilities. Mm, That's okay. what I took from that moment. I, yeah, there's some of that there too, but but I think that in either case, it's undercut by kind of like the lameness of the solution. Yeah, I think so too, because like... Yeah, because it's setting us up for a moment where, like, if Meg is wrong, like, they could die. Like, they could just keep going forward in, like, what they think is exactly the way that the missus told them, which is just, like, get to the wall and then something will happen. But Meg sees, like, a better solution. Um, But the better solution is not actually, like, necessarily that, like, clever. Yeah. Um, And, like, it's one of those where it's, like, if the tree was just kind of like they just told us that the tree would help them but then she has to solve an interesting problem to get to the tree mm-hmm. like that would work fine yeah but it's just like there is no obstacle to get into the tree other than she realizes the tree is a good idea yeah but like the tree is not established for like why it's like it's just like like i don't mind having like unrealistic or kind of like hand wavy moments in movies but it's just the parts where you're actually trying to sell a character moment have to be a little bit more thoughtful than that, I think. Right, yeah, I agree. Yeah, because it was just like they were running, uh, they were doing fine out running with Tornado. Meg sees a tree and is like, we should go in the tree. And Calvin's like, the witch, the missus said to go to the wall. And she's like, the tree will throw it, like the tornado will pick up the tree, throw us over the wall. And Calvin's like, okay. <laughs> and then it happens. And then it just, it works. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and another place of, like, that sort of, like, lack of cleverness, I think, bites this movie is... So, like, the end is Meg defeats the It through the power of love, right? Yeah. Which is, like, super common as, like, a storytelling concept. Yeah. Um, But I think there's, like, two ways you can do that. Mm-hmm. Which is, like, you can have, like, a clever way and, like, a not clever way. Right. And, and like, the clever way... And, and I don't want to bring up specific examples because this would, like, spoil them. But, like, a common twist you'll see is something like the characters realize that the true threat was the fear they felt of the thing. Mm-hmm. And that when they overcome that and see clearly there's no threat at all. Yeah. And that's, like, usually cool and clever. And usually it can be set up in interesting ways. So it's, like... It feels like a reveal, and it feels like a climax. Like, it feels like something came together in a cool way for this ending. Mm -hmm. Whereas this one, there's nothing like that. It really is just the it's really powerful, but then she is just more powerful through love. Yeah. And it's just, it's it's not interesting. Like, she doesn't, there's no amount of, like, outwitting it. There's no amount of, like, realizing something new that she didn't know before. Mm -hmm. Or, like, there's not even, like, the aha, I discovered you can be defeated this way. Mm -hmm. It's just kind of like she just, like, has to start loving herself more and loving others. And it's just like, it's it's a fight that goes on 100% inside her head. Mm -hmm. And it's also done in the way that I think at times can be sort of frustrating, where a character has the answers and 
tries to tell the main character the answers, but does so in an extremely roundabout way for what feels like no reason. Um, <laughs> so the misses do, in fact, give her, like, the answer. They, they tell her, like, you know, it's through your faults or whatever that, you know, like, they give her the gifts. And it's and uh, Mrs. Wetzik gives her the gift of her faults, um, which, like, makes sense. And I guess that this is, like, a bigger thing in um, book tropes um i don't think it's like a great thing to do in book tropes for like a character especially like a mentor character to have the answers and then to um and then to just like not give their mentee answers like for reasons like this comes up um as a as a big criticism especially in like why in children's books that like an adult character like mentor figure um will be like very wise and have the answers and just not give the answers for what don't feel like super satisfying reasons and i feel like this movie like suffers a little bit for that um because it doesn't make it clear why they wouldn't just say when like they're at their weakest and they're being the most frank why they wouldn't just like say what meg needs to do because then we would like still get her journey of like being able to do that because like yeah if anything like telegraphing it more would actually make it more impactful yeah better sort of sense of what's at play yeah because like the whole thing is that like meg has these abilities within her she just needs to believe in herself um so i don't see why we would need to like obfuscate that um why we couldn't just like be pretty frank with meg um especially because like you know part part of uh part of the point of the movie at least like in the early parts with like the other adults in her life is that they're like not taking her seriously like why they can't just like tell her like hey these are the things that you need to do like good luck like (laughs) Mm -hmm. um so yeah so that was sort of a frustrating part for me at least was uh was that bit yeah um there's also just like it's not always fair to do this to movies where it's like you think you have an idea of what the movie could have done that would be like cooler so like you're mad at the movie for not doing your cool idea right but I do have, like, an idea that I thought would have just been more interesting, mm-hmm. which is if, like, they needed, like, someone who, like, had darkness in them, but also light to, like, confront the darkness, and then maybe try and do it where it's, like, the only way to, like, defeat the darkness is to, like, meet it where it is or something. I think that that's, like, almost what they were trying to do with Meg, like they like with her faults in the darkness within her which is something that mrs Wetzit brings up all the time about yeah. why she doesn't like meg is all the darkness in her um and even though she has this darkness in her charles wallace like really believes in her and loves her um it, but like that darkness doesn't make meg any less powerful or any less like deserving of love or anything like that um so i think the movie is like almost trying to do that um, but then they just sort of end with a friendship, or in this case, like, sibling love is magic. Yeah. Because, um, like, like the better example of doing that would be something like Inside Out, um, which I hope this isn't, like, too much of, like, a spoiler, but it's, like, part of the the, the climax is that, like, um, you know, Joy has to realize that, like, sadness is okay, too, sometimes. Like, sadness yeah. is, like, an appropriate emotion to have. Yeah, like, you can you can be joyful and you can be sad at the same time. Man, I swear, we talk about movies sometimes and, like, p- 
people like this happened in the fucking like dinosaur episode too where like people talk about a moment from another movie and i'll start to get like choked up. <laughs> that's such a nice moment in inside out yeah um, it's, it's really good and like to me like this i don't know like if this movie had had something more to say mm-hmm. I, maybe that's what it comes down to it's not just a lack of cleverness but it's like a lack of like this movie doesn't feel like it has anything to say yeah. Because it, like, has, like, a journey, but it just doesn't have a take on it that's more than, like, liking people is good. Yeah. Like... Because it, it starts off taking Meg pretty seriously. Like, it, it starts off being, like, Meg has, you know, she has these difficulties, she has these things inside of her, and Charles Wallace, um, at times has, like, a simplistic view of this, um, but especially when you get into, like, Zach Galifianakis's character and his like conversation with her like it's not as simple as she just needs to believe in herself but like she needs they need to like strike a balance between like letting her push herself and having other people push her but also being like that comforting like you can just like be yourself here um and the film like almost does it but like not quite like I yeah. think it needs to tell a more sophisticated um story for Meg because her emotions here are very sophisticated like she's not just mm-hmm. like sad that her dad left she's like bitter and she's depressed and like yeah. you know she like does genuinely like love her family but she also has these like very deep problems with like anger and things yeah. like that and those are all like legitimate parts of meg and those are what help her in the end but um it it sort of like sums up in this sort of like oversimplistic like you know yeah uh, like it feels like that's something the movie should needed to do a lot more work to like build up to and earn yeah rather than just sort of like telling us at the end that oh like your wounds are where the light comes in mm-hmm. and she's like because yeah because yeah, <laughs> I, I don't think that that's a great message like i don't think like you know your wounds are where the light comes in like is like it feels so overly simplistic to me and it feels like this movie could have told a much deeper story um because i think that like you know the fact that wounds are there is like okay is like you know a fine moral or whatever but it's also not like a great thing and i feel like we also get this where like her dad doesn't have that satisfying of a story ending either because he's just like let's just leave charles wallace like let's like go and cut our losses like so i have at least like one of my kids and he goes and they never address it yeah it doesn't really because like you can see it going either way where it's like you know maybe like father was being sensible and like meg took a big risk and it paid off but Mm -hmm. like yeah and i think that she's like she's very angry at her father for like that and that shows so much about his character there like that shows that he is willing to cut his losses so that he gets something yeah and like that's part of his journey too that's you know that's why he ended up having to leave in the first place because he got something and he followed it instead of like being with his family and like knowing what mattered Mm -hmm. especially with charles wallace i mean i mean you see like charles wallace framed in that shot when he goes and and testers for the first time um, but we don't get any sort of resolution to yeah, that. Yeah, it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't finish. I do want to contradict myself. I think there was one thing where the movie felt like it did have something interesting to say, and I wish that they had developed it more, mm-hmm. which I thought the most interesting part of the movie is when they're explaining what this darkness is, because mm-hmm. the movie has this very, like, on the surface, like, very simplistic, like, there's light and there's darkness. Mm-hmm. They never really explain what the light is. Yeah. Um, 
But they do explain what the darkness is. I think this is fascinating. Because the darkness that they explain isn't like outright hate. Mm-hmm. It's not really like violence. Um, But they say that darkness is like... Um, like the examples they give are like, you know, Calvin's father like yelling at him about how like his 82 on a test isn't good enough. Mm-hmm. And it's like Veronica... Where she has like her, like she is like constantly weighing herself. Yeah, she has like this like like, very disordered eating. Yeah, has like an eating disorder and says it's like self hate and like prejudice and like these like very like banal examples. And to me, that is an interesting idea that like greater evil like is sort of built on a foundation of these kinds of like banal lesser evils. Mm -hmm. Um, that. To me, that is a really interesting idea that would be, like, worthy of development, but the movie doesn't really develop it. It kind yeah. of leaves it there. Yeah, I, th- I think that this does come back a little bit where um, they talk about the darkness a lot being, like, conformity. Um like conformity at the cost of other things and this is where like i sort of mentioned as we were going through the plot summary i thought it was like really interesting and i wish we would have lingered on a little bit that like this presented itself i have no idea this is taken from the book or this is like something invented for the movie but it presents themselves as like suburban fantasy like a twisted suburban that is fantasy. probably the only thing from the book i truly remember oh that does happen in the book yeah okay like, basically <laughs> very very similar to that that like the book definitely, like, comes out pretty hard against that sort of, like, suburban conformity thing. Yeah. And that scene, I don't, like, I don't know if it has, like, the exact, like, eeriness of, like, everyone bouncing the ball at the same time. Mm-hmm. But, like, that's, that was, like, the only part of the book I truly remembered. And I thought that the movie captured that extremely well. <laughs> yeah. Like, I liked that part. Like, that part was very creepy. And, yeah. like, you know, you have these, like, cookie-cutter houses in this cul-de-sac. And, um, you know, everyone's bouncing the ball at the same time. And I also thought it was interesting. Um, they sort of, like, coded... I don't... Again, I didn't read the book. Uh, they sort of coded Charles Wallace, I think, as, like, autistic in the movie. Um, mm. And in that scene in particular, I think really coded him as autistic. And, like, uh, and like part of the reason why this is the darkness like he talks about like the pounding and he can't stand the sound and stuff like that um hmm. so i thought that that was like an interesting aspect of that uh of that too that like this sort of like conformity does do like real harm to people like when you have everyone like who needs to go into these like super specific lanes then that doesn't leave room for stuff like you know neurodivergence and things like that um and i really liked that they did that i thought that that was like really interesting you got a lot more from that than i did (laughs) oh no i no I, i i so i saw this movie when it like first came out it like went to netflix first i think so it went to netflix maybe in like 2019 or something like that came out 2018 i didn't see it in theaters um i did see it when it came to netflix and that scene i remembered it from the trailer and it stuck with me again as i like watched it Mm -hmm. was like that scene in particular i thought was like so fascinating especially because this book was written when like the 60s um having that like uh having that pushback against this like suburban ideal i think is something that was really interesting then and is still really interesting now yeah yeah that was definitely like the standout scene in the movie i think yeah and honestly i think it's a shame that like they didn't they didn't do more with that yeah i thought i thought it was so creepy i i really mm-hmm. liked it i think that that was like 
I think that really just them being in Kazarat, Karazat, whatever, I, I thought that that was sort of like where visually they were able to shine. Yeah. Um, but I think unfortunately at times that was sort of at the cost of the story. Okay. Uh, Cause I also really liked, you know, them being on this like super overcrowded beach and like, you know, um, like I thought that, uh, you know, Michael Pena's character design was done really cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I will say, I do think that the visuals of, um, Meg, like doing like the weird, like, dimension step thing Mm -hmm. to find her dad in like the empty room that turned out to be enfolded or whatever Mm -hmm. was like really neat Mm -hmm. but once again like didn't really serve the story but it was pretty cool yeah it just like looked neat i liked the music there i actually thought what looked more visually interesting is um her and her dad backlit especially like you have her dad against these like orange and reds and you have hers like with these also warm colors but these like pinks like you know um almost like like angry versus like you know a lot of love mm-hmm. you see that shift as they sort of like move past each other because meg is a lot like her father right and i think that yeah. that's also supposed to be a little bit of the point mm-hmm. that she like is unable to accept this she sort of like runs away she does like genuinely love her family um but where she sort of like goes into herself and like has destruction that way her father's is like very external and they have this dichotomy mm-hmm. set up also with her parents where like her mom is focused on, like, the very small, and, you know, obviously her mom yeah. is the one who's, like, focused on her family and who's doing most of, like, the emotional labor there, whereas her dad is, like, willing to leave his family if it means taking this, like, big technological leap. Yeah. Well, I guess not technological, but, like, scientific. Yeah, something. Yeah, it's big metaphysical yeah. leap. I don't even know. Yeah, so, like, the movie sets up a lot of interesting dichotomies like that, um... And then it also says, like, what ties these very different um, ideas within these very different people together is, like, love. Even though they're opposites, they still love each other. They still care about each other. Um, But I wish it was, like, more nuanced, again, in how it talks about that. That you get sort of, like, um, you know, within the light there is darkness. Within the darkness there is light. Um, Everything is not, like, it and the misses. Like, living in between that is, like, Meg. Yeah. And it feels like the movie was, like, part, like, travelogue through, like, a wild and crazy universe. Mm -hmm. But then the actual locations were maybe not as interesting as they could have been. And, like, they spent a lot of time, like, in kind of, you know, locations. Yeah. Like, going to visit the Happy Medium felt like it took a long time <laughs> yeah and didn't really do that much for the movie mm-hmm. even though it was like a turning point scene but it felt like the whole process was like could have been cut down a lot mm-hmm. but it's it sort of like, like if the movie wanted to be like a sort of travel through the universe movie i feel like they needed more faster paced more interesting location scenes with like a little bit more of a creative spark to like the cool stuff they're gonna find you know what i mean yeah Whereas if it wanted to be this kind of, like, very internal movie, it needed to give us a little bit more to go on in terms of Meg's, like, internal journey. And it needed to give us a little bit more, like, time for introspection. Yeah. But instead it felt like it wasn't quite doing either. Where it's, like, it wanted to imply a lot of interiority to Meg, but didn't really 
didn't really care to explore it that deeply and wanted to imply like this really like crazy and wild universe but didn't really want to like show us anything that wild because i didn't feel like there was anything in this movie that we've never like seen before yeah and i think that that's partially a symptom of you know this book being so old and so influential that we sort of get um the one one of the proto versions of a lot of these uh a lot of these stories obviously it was taking its own tropes and and stuff like that from other places um but then i think when you have a big property like that um and you're doing an adaptation into like an entirely different medium that's where you find the heart of it and um you start to expand in different ways and like add something new to like this uh this big cultural history of like a wrinkle in time um and that's where i feel like the movie didn't quite do that um yeah yeah i i feel like it just like faltered a little bit there yeah it just like lacked that spark yeah it didn't feel like that creative Mm-hmm. And it didn't feel that clever. It just sort of felt like it had, I don't know, it, it felt like it had the very basics of a story down and, like, had, you know, really good, like, costume and set design people who, like, make it look good. Right. But it didn't look amazing. It didn't, like, break new ground on anything. hmm And... The story wasn't, like, meaty enough to really, like, pull you in. So it sort of feels like a movie that nothing about it is, like, terrible, mm-hmm. but, like, nothing about it stands out as, like, truly great. Yeah. Um, One place that I know that people talked about, especially when the movie um was first being advertised and things like that, is uh that they do uh change the races of, of some of the characters. Um, you have um, Meg, who, from what I was reading, she's not explicitly described in the book as white, um, but she is in, like, you know, the book covers and stuff she is shown as white. Um, and you have Storm Reed playing her in the movie, who is a black woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I think that, like, I, I know that this the is covered. The representation is nice. Yeah, sure. the representation is nice. Um, you also have the misses, who I think also in the books are, I, I think that everyone in this book is originally white. Um, I might be wrong on that. Um, but I think that it's done in a more thoughtful way than um, some other movies have done this. Like, I, I know that there's a lot of criticism in, like, uh, adaptations um, about, especially when you're taking older stories like this, where a lot of the characters are predominantly white, um, usually, like, cishet, stuff like that, like, how you sort of, like, reimagine the characters. And I actually think that this movie did that well, where um, it's sort of, like, almost like a trope now, where you just, like, sort of take take the mentor character and like like um either like race or gender bends them but this movie really didn't do that i thought it was like pretty thoughtful in how it like cast their characters yeah yeah so you have like um charles wallace who is filipino meg is like a meg is uh meg is black um and uh, you have the misses who are all of different races yeah um and and like oprah as like the wise mentor figure just is an obvious choice. Yeah. It's clearly correct. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you just, like, you know, when you're casting the misses and, and one of the people you're casting is Oprah, like, yeah. Yeah, uh, it's just the correct choice. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I agree. I thought she did get it in this movie. Mm-hmm. Probably, um, like, the most interesting casting of the misses is uh, Mindy Calling, Kaling, however she pronounces her last name. Um, but, yeah, like, she was, like, I think probably, like, the least um, publicly prominent. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought she was really good. I thought she, like, did a great job with the role. Even yeah. It's, like, not her usual thing. Yeah, I think I remember reading an interview with uh, Ava DuVernay um, years ago about how she was, like, casting the misses, and that was sort of, like, the first thing that she started reimagining, where she said that she wanted um, one of the misses to be white, one to be black, and one to be neither black nor white. Okay. Um, Makes sense. Yeah, and um, I thought that I thought that Mindy Colling did a really good job. I, I really liked her. I thought she was really cute. Um, I I will ask you, uh, what did you think of of her uh, quoting Hamilton? I thought it was cute. I thought it was fun. Yeah, mm-hmm. I remember when I saw it. Like, I think it was because Hamilton had like just come out. I was like almost like eye rolling. Like, really? <laughs> like, we're gonna we're gonna drop Hamilton. But I think that now it's sort of like aged a little bit better now that we have like a little bit of separation and we aren't just at the height of like Hamilton mania. Yeah, I, th- I thought it, I thought it was cute. I thought yeah, it was. yeah. Yeah, I, I did like that. I think they did um, a good job. They obviously, like, updated the quotes that she was using. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they do that in other adaptations, but a lot of the quotes that she had were, um, were like, newer quotes, um, more recognizable public figures, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um... Is this movie, uh, is this movie going to be, uh... Like our new like cottage core movie, has it dethroned Ghibli or Ghibli? I should say no, no, <laughs> absolutely not. I know, I'm just teasing. I I did think that that was interesting because cottage core is such like a it it's really come to prominence during the pandemic. But I think that sort of like coziness has been sort of in the process for like the past couple of years. But um, yeah, I'm surprised people haven't picked up on a wrinkle in time as sort of like cottage core esque, especially at the beginning parts of it. See, I feel like a lot of these kind of, like, magical YA stories have a fair amount of cottagecore aesthetic. Yeah. I mean, like, Harry Potter definitely has, like, some cottagecore bones in it. Yeah, especially in the books, when they're, yeah, the like, books. in these, like, very cozy little cottages drinking, like, butterbeer. Mm-hmm. Um, the movies go for, like, a more gothic sort of yeah. thing, which is different. Yeah. Um, and uh, because we uh, we brought up Harry Potter, uh, fuck J.K. Rowling. Yes. We we unstand. Yeah, we unstand. Um, but I thought it was appropriate to the the conversation. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, <laughs> and like, um, I'm trying to think of others. Like, I mean, like Narnia has like some cottage stuff going. I, on I've seen places. people talk about Narnia. Um, yeah, the movies um, do keep a lot of those bones. Yeah. I think. Um, Ghibli is is what I hear the most. I mean, like, Ghibli has a lot. Yeah. yeah, I'm just thinking in terms of like YA, like like older YA literature, like enjoys coziness. I think. Yeah, because it feels like very kid friendly. It's very The Hobbit. Yeah, there's The Hobbit is a good example. Um, I was going to I say, mean, yeah, yeah. Like, there's a there's Hobbits a lot, yeah. are sort of like prototypical like cottage core creatures like. yeah 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 i think that sort of structurally in like that zone of storytelling like coziness is like useful as a way to put the characters at ease in between 
moments of tension. Mm -hmm. Yeah, especially, too, because, like, being pastoral is such a tradition in, like, children's literature. Um, And British children's literature, too, has a lot of these elements, which, like, you know, you have Narnia and stuff, which is set in in Britain in, like, the Second World War. Yeah. Um, You you have a lot of those pastoral elements. Um, In u.s literature you do see a shift in um in like pastoral works uh especially around like the mid-20th century where you get more um more like uh works set in like um in urban locations and stuff like that um the snowy day being like the most famous like first work being like um, the Snowy Days for like very young children, but it was one of the first like children's books to be set um, in like an urban center. Um, okay, so that's a cool fact about the Snowy Day. Yeah. Also, the U.S. Post Office has Snowy Day stamps, so everyone should buy yeah, them. Neat. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I do think that with children's literature in particular, like the rise of well, was, in general, I think pastoralism always has to be understood as a reaction to like urbanism. Right. Because, like, if you don't have cities, then, like, pastoralism doesn't really make any sense. It's just, it's just where stuff is. Right. <laughs> yeah. But, like, it's, like, like, pastoralism, especially, like, modern pastoralism, is very much, like, a reaction to industrialization. Yeah. And I think that in more modern works, um, it sort of allows authors to let kids roam free without having to grapple with, like, potential dangers of being in densely populated areas. Yeah. Um, so, like, you know, when you have kids going into the woods, they're finding a magical adventure when they're, you know, like... If you're in these, like, really densely populated, like, city centers, um, then you have to, like, you have to use your location. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I also think that a lot of authors will have this attitude where, like, they grew up in this, like, sort of pastoral, in their, Mm -hmm. like, nostalgic hindsight paradise, and, you know, they see kids living in the city, and they're like, oh, these kids don't get to live there, but maybe, like, they can through, like, these books sort of vicariously live live there. Yeah. Or experience it. Yeah. And, um, we have another train going by. Yep. Um. We were talking about pastoralism. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, it sounds like it just went by. Oh, okay. And it went in, so anyway. Um. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, pastoralism in children's literature, I think, is an interesting thing. And I do like that um, there is a pushback a little bit because Meg lives in like a suburban area, but we also do within the story get pushback against that. So it's um, so like the sort of like um, suburban ideal is not like presented as being like very ideal um, yeah. in the story, mm-hmm. which I think is good and, and interesting. Um, do you have anything else you want to mention? About a wrinkle in time? Not really. I think we covered most of it. Yeah, a lot to talk about in this. I feel like we like packed a lot into you know mm-hmm. our hour long episode. Um, that's sort of why I wanted to do this movie. There's so much to talk about. Okay. Even if it's not like the best movie, I think that there is um, a lot to dissect just by merit of it being like um, a a good story. You know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was interesting. That unlike some things we talk about. It doesn't feel like a movie that had big ambitions and failed. Mm-hmm. It feels like a movie that had small ambitions and mostly succeeded. Yeah. 
Yeah, I I like wasn't sure because like so they hired um Ava DuVernay. I think that this was like the first like children's movie that she did. Um her other movies like her big ones are like Selma 13th. Um yeah. she does a lot of like documentary stuff. So um you have someone who does like very grounded movies and like you're putting them into like a really fantastical setting. Yeah. So I thought that that was an interesting choice. I don't think that she's a bad director by any means. No, no, um, no, no, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that, I think that she did a decent job with this movie and I think her other movies are extremely good. Um, but yeah, it is, it is interesting um, that it doesn't feel, and maybe they didn't want to like stray too far from the original vision of the yeah, book. So. And that could be it. So, it, yeah, it I don't know. Be, yeah, it might just be that they were targeting a younger audience and figured it was better to keep it simple. Yeah. Yeah, I guess we haven't, like, gone to talk to any, like, young kids about what they thought about it. Maybe this was exactly what they needed. Yeah. Yeah, someone someone give us your kids, because we talk about kids' movies a lot. So, yeah. so start start sending in your kids' opinions to us so that we can, uh, <laughs> we can get what the youths think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think that, yeah, like I said, I think that if I were a kid, um, I would have really liked this movie and maybe saw it with sort of, like, rose-colored glasses as I get older. I could see that. Um, Because I I think that Disney is good at that. It's good at taking um, movies that have, like, sort of unique visions, whether it's because they're an adaptation or they're an original work, um, doing them maybe not perfectly, but, like, building up a lot of nostalgia in the process. So, (laughs) yeah. Um, Do you recommend it? Yeah, it's, it's it's like a well executed movie. There's nothing like it's totally watchable. Yeah, um, if you like um this kind of thing, like if you like you know some interesting fantasy landscapes and very basic sort of good versus evil stories, um yeah, it's, it's fine. You'll, you'll enjoy it probably. Um, yeah, it's yeah. not a real brain teaser or anything. Yeah, I agree. I I I'll say people should watch it. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's on Disney Plus, like I said, like all of our movies, you can, if you have Disney Plus, you don't have to, like, pay for it or anything, it's just on there. Um, so yeah, if you have, like, an hour and 40 minutes or so, and you're uh, looking for something to do, check out A Wrinkle in Time. You could do a lot worse. Yeah, you could do a lot worse, exactly. You could watch a B-movie. You could watch B-movie, yeah. Don't watch B-movie. Don't, don't watch that movie, no. <laughs> all right. Um, Yeah listen to our other podcasts you can find out more on projectdevail.com um yeah thanks so much for listening bye bye introducing tales of the voidfarer join the spacefaring adventures of a group of misfits in this DD fifth edition podcast inspired by the second edition setting spelljammer my name's marco astorio my character is a gif yankee my character is a doar adorable little penguin people you're ravenous right yes I, 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 and you are I, it's a pleasure to meet you my name's luck Cumble. my name is captain valeria rain and welcome aboard the voidfarer Luckbeak, Ravnus, come on! There's so much to see over here! Catch new episodes of Tales of the Voidfarer every other Tuesday, wherever you get your podcast fix. (laughs) That's funny. Wait, did you just say that's funny and not laugh, Ravnus? We really have to work on your social skills. (laughs) Projectderailed.com